So Liz, I think I've mentioned that I once worked as a writer for reality TV. Am I right? You did. But I have been meaning to ask you, you were a writer for reality? (laughs) Yes. You didn't know this? A lot of that stuff is definitely scripted. Also, I'm sorry to break it to you. Unicorns aren't real. (laughs) My innocence is shattered. Shattered. But why are you bringing this up? It's just the perfect example of a blessing in disguise. Like the show was this very long, tough slog. 12-hour days, seven days a week. I really worked hard on that show. And then it was just a flop. They canceled it. I think they canceled it before any of my episodes even made the air. But blessing in disguise. But it turns out it didn't matter because there was such a reality TV boom going on back then that now I had the experience and I got more work offers than I had ever had as a writer. Oh, see, that's nice. Yeah, light at the end of the tunnel, rainbow, whatever. So what shows did you write for? Oh, none of them. That job also taught me I hate writing for reality TV. (laughs) So I quit and got into public radio. Ah, typical career move. Mm. And also perfect for this episode of Safe for Work, dear listeners, on which we're going to be talking about bouncing back from failure. You got it. I'm Rico Galliano. That is Liz Dolan. And coming up, we're going to talk to hit-making TV and movie producer Nina Jacobson about her many flops and about what she learned from them. Then we're taking your calls and having some signature safe-for-work fun with our Mind the Gap segment. Oh, yeah. That's where I'm always right when we're talking about hypothetical work situations. No, no. That is not what that is. Yes, All that is. and more here on Safe for Work. Stick around. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Safe for Work ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. (laughs) 
So, Rico, I know that failure is often seen as something negative, but it's not always a bad thing. That's right. As they say, when one door closes... A lot of doors can open. Or you can make your own door. Go for it. Whoa. Case in point, I recently (laughs) interviewed TV and film producer Nina Jacobson. She's pretty much the epitome of success, with credits including The Hunger Games, Crazy Rich Asians, and FX's American Crime Story. Just some small indie projects is what she focuses on. Those, right. Gotcha. But she was also... Also fired as a Walt Disney Company studio exec more than a decade ago and is not shy when it comes to talking about how she bounced back. All right. I started our conversation by getting her thoughts on the benefits of failure. Here's what Nina had to say. As long as you let yourself learn from failure, it is oftentimes a better teacher than mm-hmm. success. I mean, success is a great teacher and it's a certainly much kinder and more enjoyable teacher. But failure Besides the fact that it really tests your commitment and your values, it is also the time that you learn the most about yourself, your work, and your partners. Mm -hmm. I mean, my partnership with Brad Simpson, uh, we were first partnered on a movie called Wednesday that he was supposed to produce at DreamWorks and that I was brought into. And we dove in to trying to get this movie up on its feet before the writer strike of 2008. And we got off to a great start. Then everything that could go wrong did mm-hmm. go wrong. But that experience of watching our movie implode was really the foundation of this relationship that's become such an essential part of right. my company and our lives. You just won as, a Golden Globe together this year, right? Yes, You know, character, I think, emerges more in adversity and seeing when things go wrong, um, how people react, how they treat each other and how they move on really was the foundation of one of the most important relationships in my career. I think it's actually hard for people when they think about their failures to separate outer things like the writer's strike is not your fault. You can't control that. So how do you separate that from things that you are responsible for? And then which part of that has to do with the character of you and your partners? For one, there's always the question of when things get tough, people often turn on each other as opposed to to each other. And Mm -hmm. so as we started to hit some bumps in the road, uh, we had a director who ended up not finding an actor who he was willing to cast, who the studio was willing to cast. He ended up rewriting the script and taking it in a direction that was away from the target, not towards the target. And so in all of those moments, people turn to place blame or try to find a scapegoat. Mm -hmm. And Brad and I just were on this roller coaster together and we were always in it together. And we found that going through this, that we were a comfort to each other. We were supportive of each other and we took a lot of lessons from it. So over the course of your career, have you failed for the same reason multiple times or are you failing for new reasons each time? Well, how have you personally grown for the fact that you actually examine why some of these projects may be falling apart? I found that the failures that came from love and passion and conviction were much easier to live with than the ones that you had talked yourself into. Anytime that we raced into something because of a release date, because this person would do it, but only during this time, and that meant you had to rush past really, let's say, interrogating the script, making sure it was as good as it can be, it usually doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, you're left with a real feeling of 
maybe self-loathing is strong, but it's somewhere that in the strong. self-loathing it's family. It's that strong, really? That you, well, yeah. That you should have known better? Yeah, that you should have known better. You should have mm-hmm. listened to your gut. It's more unnerving when your gut is wrong, but at least you know that you you did it from the inside out. You did it from a mm-hmm. place of conviction, and maybe certain things went differently than you thought, or maybe you just were wrong. Yeah. Um, but those failures are much easier to live with. It's much easier for me to live with the fact that Life Aquatic didn't perform to the level I hoped it would and that it needed to to justify its budget. Then but to, it was made from love. But it was made yeah. from love. Well, let's talk about one of your really big, expensive, nutty swings that actually did work, and that was Pirates of the Caribbean. It was a surprise hit, but sounds like there were moments during production where people must have been saying, including you, like, oh, my God, what have I done? This is insane. So how did you deal with all of those feelings at the time? So I was a studio executive at Disney, and people thought we were crazy. The ruling mentality was that pirate movies don't work. Yeah, it was a scary enterprise. We had great material. We had an amazing director. We had great producer. We had really great script from fantastic writers. And so, you know, we believed in it through and through. And to his credit, Johnny Depp made an incredibly ballsy choice in terms of his performance. And I was not the only person who was like a little bit nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, I was the only person who had to make the call to say, you know, hey. What are you doing? Yeah, what's up with that? No, do you call Johnny Depp on something like that? Yeah, you know, I had to call and say, and so, yeah, what's up? What are you you going for? And he said to me, you're just going to have to trust me. You know, Mm -hmm. I really feel this character and I get it and I know what I'm going for and you're going to have to trust me. And, you know, we did and I did. And ultimately I was like, okay, that is that's a good enough answer for me. I think that's a lesson that a lot of leaders in a lot of different kind of businesses can use. Oftentimes you just have super talented people that want to do things in a certain way and you have to give them the freedom to do that and then take the fall with them if it doesn't work. But, but also give them the credit when it does. So one of the unusual things about the kind of risk-taking you take in Hollywood versus, say, running another kind of business is that it's always big news. The successes are big news and the failures are big news. So you ultimately got fired from Disney and you got fired in a really public way. And it was such big news that I got the Disney shocker Nina Jacobson out alert on my phone. So what's it like to be in the middle of a storm like that? The thing was is that I didn't see it coming. It was perplexing, among other things, because it wasn't about performance. We were having an incredible run. It was more, I would say, of an internal political, uh, somebody wanted my job and Mm -hmm. maybe that person wanted it and had pursued it more aggressively than I was holding on to it. We were going through a period where we had to we had to shrink the studio a bit. And so we were having to decide who would stay and who would go. And I had just gone through that process, not realizing that I was on the list of people going. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend called to say, I have heard that you're in this pool of people who are going to be let go. I called folks that night, didn't hear back. And then the next morning, uh, my wife was going into labor. So this is a lot all at once. It was a lot all at once. My dad was in the same hospital. So when we got to the hospital was when I heard back. And my boss at the time was like, oh, this isn't a good conversation to have on the phone. Can you come in? I was like, I can't come in. 
No. Right. Um, I'm no. Um, if there's ever a time when you can't come in, it's yes. when your wife is going into labor. Yes. And so I was just like, you know what? I need to like compartmentalize this. Let's just get it over with. And he was sort of hanging and hawing. I was like, am I being fired? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is so-and-so getting the job? Yes. Wow. And I was like, wow. okay. So, um, And then I, you just turned that off in your yeah. head and paid attention to the— Yeah. And um, I recently spoke at Sundance and said, you know, far from producing being my lifelong dream, it was actually more of a recurring nightmare of something I <laughs> really? didn't want to do. You had no interest in doing that? None. So this was a change totally forced on you? Unequivocally. Absolutely. Uh-huh. This was, these are my skills. There aren't any other executive jobs out there that are as compelling as the one that I've just been fired from. I was offered a production deal at DreamWorks because I had worked there as an executive prior to going to Disney. And so I decided, okay, I'll take the leap and I'll try the producing thing. When you think about the leaving Disney, does that feel like a failure to you or does that feel like something else? Just a series of business things that happened for which you have some responsibility, but not total responsibility. Like, how do you even classify that experience? I would still say getting fired from a job that you love, it's still a failure no matter how you slice it. Because ultimately, I looked at it and said, okay, I wasn't paying enough attention to the politics. I wasn't paying enough attention to what my boss must have been looking for from me that he felt he could find in this other person. So I can either decide like, oh, this is a terrible injustice and I'm a victim, or I can decide what I can learn from this. It really was hard to also not let my confidence be shot by Yeah, right. Exactly. I think that's true of anyone who gets fired at any level for any reason. Your confidence takes such a hit. Maybe that's why people avoid thinking about what their own role was in the firing, too, if there was one, because you just can't take on anymore. You can't really think that through at that time. No, I think that's true. I think for me, ultimately, I tried to learn what I could from it. My early years as a producer, I was plagued by doubt and uncertainty. It wasn't really until I was on set and really finding the experience of being part of a crew instead of having that arm's length distance that you have as an executive that I started to really see the joy and the pleasure of the job. You think you really know who you are and what your strengths are and what you like, but there are certain things that you might not have ever chosen voluntarily that you might actually find you do thrive in, but you might not have ever known that about yourself. Okay, can I end on one last thing? We have a segment called Bad Advice, where we debate whether or not the usual advice cliches are true or not. So one of those is always trust your gut. And I get the feeling that you're kind of a trust your gut person. So is that good advice or bad advice? Trust your gut. Trust your gut is absolutely good advice. The best. Yeah. When somebody's trying to get your attention, but you can't put that script down, that is something you have to know it when it happens because Mm -hmm. you'll need that spark and that passion and that conviction to get it done. And so get you you, all the way through the process. To get you all the way through. And if you can't recognize it when it is there and when it isn't there, I wouldn't know how to do it otherwise. And so... I think trust your gut is still great Mm -hmm. advice. You can learn from failure without losing belief that your judgment is sound. You can still say, okay, here's where I went wrong, but you can't lose that confidence in your gut even when you make mistakes. 
that is the perfect place to conclude. <laughs> thank you so much, Nina Jacobson. It's really been fun to have this conversation. Well, thank you. I love that interview. Great job. Thank you. Nina is just a hero of mine. She is. You can tell, and she should be. But And the idea that I really found most fascinating in that interview is this idea of the difficulty of taking projects from the outside in mm-hmm. rather than something that you really have your heart invested in. It's totally true what she's saying, that when you take a project based on just its efficacy or because it lands in your lap, even though you have some questions about it, you don't really necessarily have your whole soul invested in it. It is true that when those fail, it feels even worse because you can't even feel like you did it yeah, out of love. You right, know? right. It's purely mercenary. But I do wonder where is the fine line between that and like not taking on challenges? Because how many times in your career, I know it's happened to me before, mm-hmm. where you take on a project and go, oh, there's no way I could pull that off. And then you do, and you're yes, like, hey, right, that happened. Right. Or, oh, that's going to be a terrible project. And then it's like, I met the most wonderful people <laughs> on that project. How do you know when to trust your gut on those things? Yeah, for me, I have often taken on things that I thought were impossible or like a pattern through my career. I was almost always the first one to do my job, you know, (laughs) where it's like, okay, we've never had a person do this before. Would you do that? And I seem to be enough of a sucker to say, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You know, and in a way, because nobody's ever done it before, I feel like. I can succeed or I can fail. It's not It's not some personal failure. It's, well, let's just see if this works. Sure. So that's the way I have approached it. It's true, but that's different than like being given a project where you're like, uh, that doesn't really seem that exciting to me. Yeah. But I'll do it because like maybe it could be interesting. And like, it... But most of us, most of the time, we're not entirely in a position where we can not just do things for the money. Sure. You know, you have to. I mean, she's betting $100 million of other people's money on something. So I, I've never been in that situation. I'm assuming you haven't either. Well, that, I do have my secret career as an oil man, but it's, <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, we have our Mind the Gap segment coming up in just a minute here. But before we jump into that, we love hearing from you, listeners. We do indeed. If you have a question or work-related situation you want to chat about, email us at safe at com. That's safe at com. Uh, okay, let's dive into an email from one of our listeners. Nicole, she's in the UK. and uh, so, Oh, so she couldn't call. Yeah, making yep. the phone call wasn't easy. So mm-hmm. here's what she wrote. In January, I became a manager to another colleague who's a pay grade below me. I've never managed in this capacity before. This is on top of my usual work with no extra title or compensation. I quickly learned this colleague is not meeting their objectives. My manager, who assigned those objectives, is now saying they're the bare minimum and wants to know how we're going to rapidly turn this around. Mm -hmm. I'm making mistakes, 
Nicole says, but I'm also learning from those mistakes. I've learned to get clear information for myself so I can clearly instruct the person I'm managing. That's good. Yes, I'm also learning how to be a boss rather than a friend. That's hard. But I'm finding it hard to juggle learning how to manage while I'm also doing my old job. How do I handle being this middle manager? I not only have someone I manage, I also have to report to my manager. In fact, I've got one-on-ones with the manager and my managee today. (laughs) I currently go to work with dread every day. Oh, no! (laughs) Though I'm sure one day I'll look back on this as a great learning experience. Well, that's a way to keep it positive, Nicole. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Nicole. One important thing I want to point out here at the beginning is that really every manager is caught in the middle like this, unless you're a top dog. And even if you're the CEO, you have a board of directors. So I think it is one of the first big light bulb moments you have when you become a manager is like, wait a minute, I have a boss and I have to be a boss and then I have my own work to do. So learning to manage up manage down and still get your work done in a day is really fundamental. So don't be too freaked out about the fact that you're freaked out. Yes. This is how it starts. <laughs> this is it. It is not easy for anybody. And it's also good to hear that she realizes that she's learning from her inevitable mistakes, mm-hmm. right? The strides that she's making are not, those are big deals. To, yeah. They're not easy things to manage. And yes, you will look back on this as a learning experience guaranteed, even if it kills you, Nicole. Uh <laughs> I think the key to this is going to be the relationship with the manager, managing Uh up, because it feels to me like she's acknowledging she's making mistakes, but she's progressing in those mistakes. She's learning the lessons that she needs to learn. I don't feel worried about the manager-managee relationship, Mm -hmm. but she's feeling that inevitable pressure in that learning curve. And that is being compounded by having to deal with her manager above her, who is right. being super demanding. And I think that the key is going to be like sort of taking some of that pressure off herself. So I want to ask her, you know, was her manager aware that she was new to managing for mm-hmm. one thing? Well, here's what I think. <laughs> I have a suspicion, Rico and Nicole, that maybe your manager dropped this hot potato in your lap oh. because they themselves did not want to fix the problem. This happens a lot, like so much more than you think. So the manager is looking at two peers and thinking, I just do not have time to deal with this. So I'll make Nicole deal with it. Boom. And that's when you get these sort of fake promotions. She said there's no title or compensation change. You just got the hot potato dropped in your lap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, what, I'm making you a manager. Take this. Yes. Do the thing that Have I fun. don't know how to do or that I can't be bothered to do. Oh, my God. That is so terrible. It happens. But I think it still makes your strategy the same. Yeah, and that right. You need to recruit your manager in helping you solve this problem. Yes. I think that's our advice. Is it's worth saying to your manager, I'm making progress with this manager. I think I'm doing well. But And this is how I would phrase it very specifically. I would really... Ad- value your insight and mentorship as I work on this. It's yes. not like, I need your help. You've got to help me out here. I'm drowning. Yeah. It's, you know what? You're a great person. You're a great resource for me. Mm-hmm. And I would like you to provide your wisdom to help me out on this. Because I do think, and, you know, I'll cop to this too when I was a manager. It's like you have a little bit of an ego. It's like, I've been in this business a while now and I've got a title to prove it. <laughs> and people acknowledging it, that you've got maybe some wisdom to pass on, it almost makes them, it strokes their ego a little bit. I yeah. think that this manager will be more likely to partner with you in turning around the manager. Yes, I think that's super smart. And the element of genius there, Rico, is that I do (laughs) feel like your manager, Nicole, probably feels guilty about having done this to you. So... (laughs) 
So that's why maybe that's why you can recruit them to help you. Like, let's work together on what the improvement plan is for managee. Let's figure out the best way to communicate this or whatever. I think it works even if the manager is completely without guilt. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It works no matter what. Overall, Rico, I go back to Larry's advice from our episode entitled How to Succeed as a New Manager. Ah, uh, yes. About how important it is to remember his phrase communicate superbly. Remember, we mocked him for the use of superbly. In retrospect, it's a good word. Yeah, because whether it's up, down, or sideways, you know, with your boss, you need to be as explicit as you can be about what you are accomplishing and where you may need help. And same with your managee. Be explicit about the goals, the timelines, what's working and what's not. And how, so, do, you, how do you do this? Like, how do you bring that up, by the way? That's the other question. Is yeah. Like, how do you talk to your manager about okay, it? Okay. Well, over the years, this is just me, but I think there's some conversations that have to happen face-to-face, not over email, mm-hmm. so that you're both really communicating. And then you follow up on that one-on-one with an email that confirms what you discussed and what you agreed to. So, for instance, with the person you're managing, you know, don't, like, boil this down into bullet points that, and then press send. Actually have the conversation about here's what's working, here's what's not. Let's talk about how it needs to change. And then as a follow-up to that conversation, you write it down and send it to them. It seems so simple, like talk face-to-face, <laughs> but I kind of feel like you need to say that out loud in the modern-day workplace. Anymore. And one other thing, I just want to say I can totally relate to that feeling of dread. I've been there. Have you ever been there, Rico, with something you're just dreading at work? You're like driving in or you're tossing and turning all night. This is the only job I've ever had where I don't feel that (laughs) way. Not a single day goes by where I feel that way. So, Nicole, that's why I feel like organizing your thoughts very explicitly even to yourself, is really key. Because for me, it helped me control my nerves when I was having these hard conversations, Mm. whether it was my boss or someone I was bossing. I always found that if I boiled my thoughts down to really simple bullet points, it helped me be more confident in the conversation. But then also don't get thrown if the conversation goes in a way that you didn't plan for. I know, yes. Don't over plan. But yeah, it does help to definitely condense your ideas down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Nicole, there's a bunch of advice. I hope you can roll with it and uh, let us know how it goes. Yeah, you're growing. That's good. All right, everybody, here comes the part of the show where Liz and I talk about how we would deal with hypothetical workplace situations. Right. And then Rico decides his way is the right way, even though mine is clearly 10 times righter. Hey, now. It's called Mind the Gap. All right. First topic. There's a coworker who brings in their dog, even though there is no real dog policy. What do you do? Well... <laughs> As dog owner Liz, I'd say, if there's no dog policy, there is a dog policy, which is bring on the dogs. I don't know if that's a completely unbiased point of view. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's it's unbiased. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if you want to disallow dogs, you need to say so. Otherwise, the default position, dogs are welcome. I think that's probably true. I yeah. think that that is true. And I do actually find it pleasant uh, if you've got a dog, particularly small, quiet dogs. Yes. I think that uh, that's a lot easier to pull off. But, you know, there are also like large, friendly, quiet dogs as well. I think mm-hmm. for the most part, it adds a little friendliness and fun to the mm-hmm. workplace environment. It's always nice when you're walking to the vending machine and you see a big, fluffy, wolf-like creature that's just beautiful that you can it pet. Is. That, that it is. It doesn't suck. I almost brought Hooper to work today just for a lot of 
practical reasons you don't need to hear about. That would be your dog. But that's my dog. And you'd love him. I promise you'd love him. But he's a little bit of a barker when he gets excited. (laughs) Oh, I've heard him on our (laughs) conference calls. (laughs) Yes, so I think. I feel like I know Hooper. I think in an audio environment, maybe dogs not so much. But every place else, bring on the dogs. That's right. Maybe not a podcasting booth. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Number two, there's a conference call you totally forgot about. And you get that text that says, are you joining? Do you make Mm. an excuse or not? Um, I think you've seen me do this enough to know, yes, I definitely make an excuse. (laughs) Whether or not, because what's your other option? It's like, oh, hey, sorry, I'm late. Yeah. I guess you can do that. Actually, as I'm saying that, I guess you could do that. That's what I would do. Like, are you joining? I would say yes in two or no, I can't. I wouldn't say I forgot. So, but are you joining? So, on the thing that you totally forgot, I might just ignore it. Is that a good strategy? I don't know. Like, what, can't you? Because aren't you supposed you're to saying, pretend you're busy doing something else? I guess so. But I mean, I think your basic strategy is right. You're just like, oh, hey, hey, everybody, sorry I'm late. Yeah. And you just don't give a reason. Yeah. And if they ask, well, I guess what happens if they ask, Liz? Well, let's see. What, your favorites are usually plumbing related or? <laughs> Those are true, though. <laughs> it just so Some happens. Some excuses are true. Yeah. So it's a reason. Yeah. There's a difference between an excuse and a reason. Okay, fine. I, I, let's have fewer conference calls. How about that? Okay, I'm with you. Here's number three. It's Girl Scout cookie season. Do you have to buy from your coworkers? No, you do not. That's my entire policy on that. I like the Girl Scouts as much as the next person, but like I just feel a little bit exploited by parents who are constantly selling me, you know, things that their kids should be selling. Like, if you're an actual Girl Scout and you ask me to buy it, I'm tempted. But from parents of Girl Scouts, no, no. Are you working with a lot of Girl Scouts these days? <laughs> no, the that's the point. Field? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, do you want to guess what my attitude towards this is? Cookies, bring them on. Yes. You buy the Girl Scout cookies because they are delicious. Yes, I And know. then you eat them. All in one sitting. See, that's why I don't buy them. That is also true. A sleeve is a serving and you're ready for it. Yes. I'm sure you know about this, but just uh, anybody who does decide to buy Girl Scout cookies, and please do because I I love them and Girl Scouts are a lovely thing to support, uh, just don't look at the ingredients list. Oh, okay. Definitely don't look at the nutritional panel. Yeah. Samoa's best cookie out there. Yeah. Don't think Don't about read it. it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Your coworker quietly heads out for a lunchtime session at the gym, but they're always late coming back. Do you cover or tell the truth when people ask where your coworker is? I just say, oh, I don't know. Okay. We agree. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not your job. Yeah. To, I mean, you're like, not a ex- snitch. No. No. I- <laughs> Just, they're at the gym. Good for them. I wish I was them. But no, I'm here. No, anyway. And you don't know what happened. Like, this could be a number of reasons why they're late, and you don't want to put them in a bad position. And nobody else needs to know. It doesn't matter. That's okay. right. Okay. Oh, God. Now we have another food-related one. Go number ahead. five, you have a coworker who has the open jar of unwrapped candy on their desk. We're saying M&M or Skittles. Do you partake of that, or is that disgusting? I know the correct answer here is is that it's disgusting. Yes. But I partake. Yeah. Uh, I'm 
M&M's? Yeah. Skittles I can resist. M&M's I cannot resist. So I'm cool with that. A few germs. I feel like it's probably good for my system overall to build up <laughs> antibodies to whatever on those M&M's. I'm going for those M&M's. How about you? It is true that it's just the most delightful way to build up your immune system. I think it is. Yes. Dip right in. I, what do you think? Of course, I yes. dip right in. I probably take the bowl and tip it into my mouth <laughs> without swallowing. I ingest them all. You won't be surprised to know we do not have an official safe for work medical advisor who's <laughs> telling is- us how to answer these questions. But yeah, whatever. It's true. And by the way, and I, I think I've regaled you with this tale before, there was some sort of study done of offices looking for the largest concentration of bacterium <laughs> in offices. And outside, I think the thing that you would imagine, which is like garbage cans and like the sink, the biggest concentration of bacteria in an office is in a bowl of candy. Mm-hmm. So just and know, you know you're what taking I'm your saying life into your own hands. I'm saying, na 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 I'm covering my ears. Don't want to hear about it. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMed's offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. Okay, Liz, we are almost out of time on today's show. But before we go, let's take one more call from a listener, all right? We have Dustin on the line here. Hello, Dustin. I'm here. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. So you've got a really interesting situation, kind of a a clash of cultures that you're dealing with in your current position. Tell us about it. Well, uh, as a bit of a background, I uh, grew up pretty working class. Uh, I had construction jobs and in a family and neighborhood where uh, it was very blue collar. And I decided somewhere in my teens that I wanted to not break my body for the rest of my life, like I saw the people around me. And so I found a way that I could go to school, had to pay for everything myself and take on a lot of debt and spent nine years in school. And I came out the other end. Now I'm working as an architect. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, not a lot of people able to pull that off. It's hard to get a job as an architect, so way to go. It's a marathon, not a sprint, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's for sure. I'm at a point in my career where I've moved from an intern to a project manager. And the majority of my time at work is spent with clients and other white-collar consultants. Um, I'm often invited out to social events, sporting events, fundraisers, that type of thing. And most of them are great people, and I really enjoy myself. But I still feel a bit of a disconnect with them. And I think it's because I don't always feel immediately comfortable around people who've obviously had a a much more privileged life than I have. Mm -hmm. I don't begrudge any of their success at all, but choosing which fork to use at dinner doesn't really come (laughs) naturally to me. Oh, wow. Thank you for your call, first of all. like As a culture, I don't think we're really good at talking about class issues, but they're obviously in the background in a lot of our interactions. So thanks for giving us a chance to talk about it. It's interesting. Yeah. And one of the things you put in your letter is 
I'm judging them as much as they're judging me, I realize. So everyone's sort of aware that you've come from different places to be in this moment together. But I was kind of interested in your word choice there, Dustin, <laughs> using the word judging, which I totally get that because we're all in any workplace where we're getting to know each other. We're all assessing each sure. other. So and obviously, if we could do a little less judging and a little more getting to know each other, we'd all be better off. I mean, my theory is in any workplace, we all just really want to be known and heard. I'm sure you just want to be your normal self in your workplace. So my first question is, do you feel like there's anything about this culture that doesn't allow you to really be who you want to be? Well, it's not about being who I want to be. It's I just feel sometimes like I don't necessarily have the same set of skills oh. that those around me have. And And for example, I would say like, you know, where I grew up, diplomacy wasn't really a thing. You yeah. know, you, you you dealt with people differently. You told mm. them to their face if they were bothering you. Uh. And so I can't really do that at a boardroom table. So I understand that there's probably been times where I've come across as rough around the edges. And those are things that I've tried to be myself, but that's only going to work so far. And like I said, at this point in, in my career, it's time to make that transition into the sort of upper management and Part of that is recognizing that my skill set or my toolbox is a little more limited than I thought before. Well, I mean, the one way that it always helps me to feel comfortable in any situation where I'm meeting new people or people who are different than me is to, you know, ask people about the most uh, spectacular thing that has happened to them in some aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, if you find out they have kids or something, mm -hmm. you ask them, oh, sure. like, are they of driving age yet? What's the moment where you most felt like your kid was going to end your life in a car or something <laughs> like that? Because this is something really going for the drama, Rico. You know, we are actually yeah. is the idea because everybody will like have these moments where of high drama in their lives and we can all kind of relate. And if nothing else, they're interesting. Yeah. Right. So if you don't feel like you have anything else to talk about with these people, you know, you find something like that where you can be engaged mm -hmm. and and entertained yourself as well. Can I ask, Dustin, do you feel just distance from them or do you feel alienated from them? Like, yeah. is it is it just that over time you'll get in a groove with each other or is there some hurdle you think you need to get over or, or they need to get over? I Oh, I know. I put this squarely on my own shoulders for sure. I, I learned a long time ago that I'm not necessarily going to change anyone's mind or give them a different outlook, but I can do that myself. I think part of the reason I'm, I think I'm good at my job is that I'm adaptable. And so this thing is just, I probably, to be honest, carry baggage that uh, I don't necessarily want to carry around with me anymore. Oh, yeah. wow. You know, I, I do meet people and yeah, say in a in a meeting and there's the introductions all around and people chat and it's not uncommon for somebody to say, oh, I just came back from a deep sea fishing trip or I <laughs> chartered a flight to Hawaii on my private island and you know I. <laughs> okay, we all hate those people. <laughs> don't don't we all hate those people, Dustin? <laughs> don't worry about that. No, was... sorry. I want to ask about another word choice. Not that I'm picking you apart here, Dustin, but even you're. Your use of the word baggage, you have your own baggage. Of course, we all have our own baggage. But it feels like in this context, you just need to think of it as your history. And your history is different than their history. Yeah. And baggage has this negative connotation. It feels to me like you might be weighing yourself down, like I have all these bad things in my past. Well, everyone has challenges in their past. You have your 
particular set. And so, you know, maybe if you just think about, okay, you have this history, there's not, that is never going to change. And then think about, okay, what is it that I want these people to know about me? How do I want to be known? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Some you may want to share with them. Other things, like you don't need to take them down that whole path. You need to be open enough so that they know the real you. But if you go in thinking it's just baggage that you have to overcome, I think that's always going to be too much of a burden. Everybody has a backstory. You have yours. Yeah. And by the way, I should say that like talking to you right now, you seem like a really personable guy. I have a feeling that you're putting more pressure on yourself and on these social situations than probably needs to be. I'm sure you're quite right about that. that. (laughs) I look at it like a challenge. And yeah. uh, I'm getting better at it little by little. I think you're going to figure it out. But this is also why you're doing so well is because you yeah. also know how to talk to the folks on the other right, end of the Right. That's a spectrum. tremendous skill. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And good luck. Good Thanks luck. Thanks for the Good email. luck. Thank you so much for writing. From Wondery, this is Safe for Work. To hear more episodes of Safe for Work, listen exclusively with Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus for more exclusives, binges, early access, and ad-free listening. Available in the Wondery app. This episode was hosted by Rico Galliano and Liz Dolan. Our original theme song is composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton. Produced by Audrey No. Executive produced by Allison O'Neill and Marsha Louie. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy, but you don't have to. Jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.